From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Tina Seymour DeMoran, the founder and managing attorney of Seymour Law Firm. We'll talk with Attorney DeMoran today about organizing your life through estate planning. What are some important documents you need to keep up with and which you don't need? We'll also talk about the difference between a durable power of attorney and health care power of attorney. You can give us a call today at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions about organizing your life through estate planning. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is the show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Tina Seymour DeMoran, the founder and managing attorney of Seymour Law Firm. We'll talk with Attorney DeMoran today about organizing your life through estate planning. What are some important documents you need to keep and which do you not need? We'll also talk about the difference between a durable power of attorney and health care power of attorney and some other topics that fall under the estate planning umbrella. You can give us a call today if you have any questions or comments about your own own estate planning affairs. The number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning to you, Professor Gershon and Attorney DeMoran. Thanks so much for being on today. Good morning, Sharita. It's going to be great to have uh, Tina DeMoran on today. I think this is really going to be useful information for, for our listeners. Attorney DeMoran, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Actually, it's Demoran. Demoran, okay. That's okay. Everybody mispronounces it. (laughs) Yeah, I was guessing. I should have asked. So, okay, I got it now. (laughs) Um, So uh, before we get to you, Attorney Demoran, we're going to talk with uh, Professor Gershon really quickly um, about this this Supreme Court uh, nominee battle, Professor Gershon. I've been hearing lots of things on NPR about it and reading some things about it, that this is about to be a bitter fight over uh, Gorsuch. Could you talk a little bit about uh, what is happening between the Republicans and the Democrats? I'm under the impression that the, the, the Democrats may filibuster so he won't get f- confirmed to the Supreme Court. And the other idea is that the Republicans could change some big rule uh, that could really set some interesting precedents for the future. Well, you're absolutely right, Sharita. This has been kind of ongoing. It started really uh, even before the Merrick Garland issue where there was no vote taken on Merrick Garland, who was uh, appointed by President Obama. Uh, And I think there are just hard feelings on both sides. And there is currently a rule that says as long as uh, 60 senators, which is 60 percent of the the Senate, don't vote uh, to uh, stop the filibuster, then filibuster can occur. Uh, And if if the confirmation fails, there's pretty good... um, belief in, in, in Washington that the Republicans will vote to change that rule so that it just takes a simple majority to cut off that filibuster. And the concern that people have about that is that um, that would mean the majority Senate uh, 
a party, whoever that is, could basically confirm a, a, a presidential appointee without discussion, really, from the other side or without any buy-in from the other side. And really, you know, I think it's one of those things that y- you do now and you, you could pay for it, a, you know, a lot later. And it's probably not in the best interest of the country. On the other hand, you know, this is one of those situations where I think there are Democrats that are being um, a little bit obstinate about about, you know, confirming someone who it appears will be confirmed uh, without changing the rules. So I think there's, you know, as a, as a, a citizen, I'm, I'm frustrated because I think there's fault on both sides. And I think it's something that we would like for our elected officials to think more again about public service and not self-service will this be the first time this rule would be changed well actually it's been changed in in other presidential appointment situations uh in 2013 it was the democrats that voted to to uh, move away from the filibuster in certain circumstances so the really the only one that still remains is the confirmation of a supreme court justice the fact is bottom line is we have eight justices on the supreme court we need a ninth Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's what concerns me is you end up with a tie in the Supreme Court. You know, if you have a 4-4 split, um, then we have no decision from the Supreme Court, which would be uh, concerning. So we definitely need to have a night justice. That's how our system works. Um, and, uh, you know, I think um, I'd like to see this process work out without all this rancor. Uh, and, and we used to have uh, uh, politicians who could work together and on both sides of the aisle and come to some good compromises, and, and we don't seem to have that anymore. Yeah, that's uh, extremely interesting. Could you talk about this process of uh, the filibuster? Like, What exactly happens when they filibuster? Do they just talk about anything, or what is that actual process? They could, but you, typically what they're going to do is it gives them an opportunity to uh, basically extend the process before a vote and, and, and you know, not yield the floor. Uh, so um, and hopefully there's good information put out there. Sometimes it is just someone just, you know, uh, talking and talking, reading from the phone book is going to be a filibuster. <laughs> um, senators have a right uh, as to members of the House as well uh, to when they have the floor, they can uh, continue to, to talk. Some of it's not real productive. But um, the idea behind this, though, is really the 60 vote rule really is more about getting buy in from both sides that you have to have collaboration that that uh, you know just because you have a simple majority uh you know the how the, the party that controls needs to have some buy-in from some other members uh, of the other party and that's that's probably a better outcome for our democracy and you know professor gershon i've read that uh, some of the resistance from the democrats is because merrick garland didn't get a hearing uh when president obama is in office do you see some of that kind of being the tension Absolutely. I think, you know, this is one of those things where um, you, you reap what you sow. I mean, the simple rule is we all ought to live by. There are two rules, you know, the, the law of the harvest, which is you reap what you sow and uh, love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule. And I think in Congress they've forgotten that, you know, both of those rules. Mm, yeah. Well, we'll just have to stay tuned to see how this turns out. Are there any deadlines or some deadlines today, or when is all this expecting uh, to pan out? Well, it, I, I think there's an expectation that it'll all play out this week and, and be over with this week, and that uh, 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 just Judge Gorsuch will become Justice Gorsuch. 
All right. Well, we'll just have to see uh, how it turns out. Um, and other news, North Carolina won yesterday. That has nothing to do with today's topic. I just thought I'd mention that because I'm a North Carolina <laughs> fan. <laughs> well, my wife's a dookie, and she may be less happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was very proud to see Mississippi State girls as well go as far as they did. That was very exciting for us. Um, but today we are going to be talking about organizing your life through estate planning, which is uh, uh, something that's really important. Uh, Attorney uh, Demoran, could you tell us a little bit about your background in this, this area and how you got into it? Actually, I was a respiratory therapist before I went to law school, and I was actually one of the people who were pulling the tubes out of the families. And it was just a very heartbreaking and sobering moment to be there whenever the families were having those last moments with their loved ones. When I graduated from law school, I stayed in the compliance area, the medical legal field. And after a while, I realized that my passion was combining the two fields, but doing it for the public. So about a year and a half ago, I opened my own law firm, and I've been specializing in estate planning ever since. Well, um, in, in preparing for today's show, I noticed something uh, in, in the outline that was very interesting. You said estate planning is about control, not death. And I do not think many people look at it that way. So could you talk about that, that idea that uh, it's more about control than death? Well, people think of estate planning as a sobering subject. Some people don't want to talk about it because they think that if you don't talk about it, it's not going to happen. Mm. And some people just don't like that morbid topic. Um, I always joke and say that with a background in the medical and legal field, growing up around construction workers, I kind of have that twisted sense of humor where we can, we can find humor in the most sobering of situations, and it, it helps with my clients sometimes to just laugh about those stories of the loved ones and those who have passed. Control to me is more about making sure that the assets that you've worked your whole life compiling, the things that you've worked toward, making sure they go where you want them to go. So, yes, control is a big issue when it comes to estate planning because if you don't have your wishes properly outlined and properly in place before you die, then you're really leaving it up to the state, to the courts, to decide where it goes. So uh, do you think that some of this... Um, uh the, the reason that people don't plan for their estate is because they are uninformed. I mean, we know fear is, is one part of it, but uh, do you think that some people just don't know what to do in the process of how to do it? Well, there are a lot of old wives' tales out there and about the probate process and about what happens when you die. A lot of people think that if you have a simple will, then you're good. Some people think, well, I'll just leave it up to my kids and let them deal with it. And a lot of people have old stories from where they were able to take care of their family's financial affairs and their property without having to go through the courts. The issue is that in Mississippi, if you're going to probate a case, you have to hire an attorney. There's no way of getting around it. And that is law. That's nothing we can do as attorneys. It's just part of the process. And the issue is with me is I want to make sure that I keep my clients out of probate as much as possible. And you can do that with careful planning and making sure that your assets are set up and structured in a way where the property can transfer, the money can transfer without having to go through the court system and the expensive probate process. Um, could you talk a little bit more about this probate process? Uh, how does it begin? Who would be in this process? Well, you have to have, you have, to have a document at, at some point. If you don't, you have two types of estates. You have test state estates and you have intestate estates. 
testate means that you have a will. The will can be a formal document or it can be a holographic will. It can be one handwritten and signed by the testator, who is a person who has passed away. The probate starts with either having the will or not. So that really depends on which procedure you go through in the courts. They're very similar, but there are some differences in those processes. But let's talk about if you have a will. First of all, you have to hire an attorney to put in a petition to open the estate for probate, to admit the will to probate and to the courts. And in most courts, you have a will vault. Like in Jackson County, Mississippi, that will goes into the vault and it stays there until the probate process is done. That way it's verified. And also you have your witness statements. Most of the time, those witness affidavits are done when the will is created. But if you don't have the witness affidavits of the people who actually witnessed the testator's signature, then the attorney has to either see if they can find one of those witnesses or find someone who is willing to or is qualified to testify as to the validity of the will. So once you get the will admitted, once you get the status from probate, you also ask for something called letters testamentary. That's so the executor or the executrix can go in and actually take care of the affairs of the estate. Most of the time, with bank accounts, with real property, you have to have those letters in order to be able to administer the assets of the estate. That executor also takes a note before the court, and they sign an affidavit to the effect that they're going to in good faith, administer the affairs of the estate. They're going to work with the attorney. They're going to work with the courts and make sure that the will is followed and that the wishes of the testator are executed as far as they can be by law. All right. Uh, Professor Gershon, do you have anything else? Well, just that, uh, you know, I, I, Tina hit it right on. And the thing about it is that um, it's just a set of instructions, really. I mean, when you write these documents, these estate planning documents, there are a set of instructions for other people to follow. And I think about, you know, the time I put together a gas grill with bad instructions. Every time I used that grill, I was sure it was going to blow up, you know. And, and so we as lawyers, what we really do is write instructions, um, and that should be helpful for families. And so, you know, wills do not, if you do a will, it is not a cause of death. People think it is. Tina hit on that, and I think she's absolutely right. Uh, um, other things do cause death, but Writing a will doesn't, and what what having a will or an estate plan with someone like uh, Tina is that you can make sure that your family has a good set of instructions and that they they're less turmoil for them to deal with uh, after death. All right, we yeah, need to go I'll, ahead. I always, always laugh whenever I read the quote that I have above my desk that said, "Education is what you get when you read the fine print. Experience is what you get when you don't." Mm, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> well, we need to uh, take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue the conversation. We're talking about organizing your life through estate planning this morning. The number is 877-MPB-RING if you want to join the conversation. All our lines are currently open. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments about estate planning, uh, wills, trusts. You can call with any of those questions or comments. 877-672-7464 is the number. You can also send an email to legalterms at MPB online.org. I'm Sharita Brent and we are joined today by Professor Richard Gershon and attorney Tina uh, Seymour Demoran. We'll be back in just a moment.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Tina Seymour Demoran, the founder and managing attorney of Seymour Law Firm. Today we're talking about organizing your life through estate planning. So we'll get into some important documents you need to keep up with and those which you can discard. You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments about estate planning, things like power of attorney, uh, probate process, trusts, wills. Give us a call 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. All right, we do have some calls to get to. We go first to Henry in Meridian, who has a question. Good morning to you. Henry, what do you have for us today? Uh, yes, we just recently had a family situation where a cousin did the probate for us. He's an attorney, and wanted 20%. We had to sell house and land that had been in the family for five generations. I was wondering, is that common for probate to cost that much? And two... If there are three children and one dies, does the dead child's children become a third inheritor? Is the two living children the inheritor from the grandparents? Oh, good question, Timory. Um, I just want to remind you that we can, you know, give you general information about these topics, but we can't give specific information. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Go ahead, uh, Attorney Seymour. Okay. Um, I cannot speak to whether or not the attorney fees are um, adequate for the probate because really, you have a basic probate price that you quote to your client whenever you start the consultation, but sometimes they do get more expensive the more involved the case becomes. I have some that are as low as 2500 and I have others that run well upwards into the thousands. Depending on how complicated the case is, if there's any challenges to the will, and if there's any errors we have to track down. As far as the question about the errors, it really depends on the will document itself and how it's Stated. So if there's these two words in the document that says per stirpes, which basically means to their heirs, then that dead child's kids would get, or you would have to establish heirs for that deceased child. Now, it really, again, I, I, I can't really answer that without seeing the will documents. So it's always a good idea to refer back to that document to see how the, the language is structured. Okay, thank you very much, ma'am. All right, Henry, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. We go next to Joey, who's in Tremont, with a question. Good morning to you, Joey. What do you have for us today? Well, I have a a fiancé, and I was wondering if we don't get married before I die, can I leave my house and property and whatever else she wants to her? Without being married, or will my darling ex get it? <laughs> okay, Joey, that's a great question. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, and can you repeat the last part of will he, he get was it? asking, will his ex get it if he oh, and the fiance ex-wife. don't marry? Yes. Um. Well, do you have any children? Yes, ma'am. Yes, you ma'am. do. So you do have living children at the time. Well, if you die without a will then your living children would be the first established heirs in those courts. And, again, it, there's certain tests that you have to look at. But 
if you want to leave something to your girlfriend before you can, before you get married, so you don't have benefit of marriage and the legal rights that go along with it, then the best thing to do is either add her name to the property deed as joint ownership with right of survivorship, or you can set up a trust which names her as a beneficiary of the trust. Well, one more question. I, I got most of that. Could I just go to a lawyer and make a will out? You can. I always, uh, always tell people the best thing to do is start with someone who has estate planning experience in their law firm. And they can customize that estate plan to your needs. You may not need a trust. You may just need a simple will. But you, may, you have to look at your entire estate, your bank accounts, your life insurance policies, and your property, any real property, that's your house or any land, to make sure that those documents are set up so they can pass without having to go through probate. Now, once you get married, yeah, I always tell people if you know, there's that trust there with the husband and wife, go ahead and do a quick claim, putting that land into both names. Or if you want to go ahead and designate property for your children that's separate and apart from the marital property, you can actually do something which a lot of my clients are using these days called a life estate deed, where you retain ownership of the property as long as you live, you have the tax rights that go along with it, and then when you die, they become the beneficiaries without having to go through probate. So basically, they don't own it. They don't have any right in the property until you die, but it's a document that allows you to transfer that property to your children or to your girlfriend, for that matter, upon your death. And can I add one thing about divorce? I mean, this is something that divorce lawyers really should be doing with their clients as well. Um, is that, you know, the documents that name like a will that talks about wife or something like that, the ex will not be included in that. But there's a problem with things like retirement plans or insurance policies. Mm -hmm. If you don't change those names on those policies, those are considered third-party beneficiary contracts. Yeah. So I worked with a man uh, who uh, he was uh, uh, really, you know, had been married once before, gotten divorced, got remarried, had a child in his second marriage never changed the beneficiary designation on his retirement plan. So his ex-wife got his retirement plan. So, you know, that's that's something, again, divorce lawyers should be working with their clients about to make sure those those names are changed because the will document only controls what you actually own at death. I have a, a client that came in. I'm, I think I had been in, open for about two months, and he and his wife had been married for 20 years, and he had been married prior to that. They were in their their in their 70s and he and his wife we put together their trust package had everything done and we're getting everything signed and i started talking about you know making sure that their beneficiaries were updated they had contingent beneficiaries on their policies and he just turned white and he looked at his wife and said well honey i think we're good here so why don't you go ahead and go home and i'll pay the attorney and get this wrapped up and I knew something was up, so she left. Well, he turned around and looked at me and said, oh, my goodness, my first wife, we were married two years. She hates me. I haven't talked to her in 30 years. It's a beneficiary on every life insurance policy I have. Wow. And so we, I told him to drive carefully home, and we would get all the <laughs> beneficiary forms taken care of. So it wasn't and too late. No, it wasn't too late. We were able to get everything changed, but a lot of people don't think about the fact that you have major life events that occur. You have death, divorce, and birth of a child. 
you need to go back and look at your beneficiary designations, not only on your life insurance policies, not only on your retirement plans, but also on your bank account. I'd say 75% of the probate cases that cross my desk are here only because someone forgot to put beneficiaries on their bank account. Wow. Oh, man, so much to think about. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, and having a contingent beneficiary. I had a client come in last week. She had the primary beneficiary. That's the person who's going to get the money first. And then contingent beneficiaries. That's the the person who is going to inherit if that person predeceases the person who dies. So basically, if you don't have contingent beneficiaries and that person dies before you do, then you have no heirs on the life insurance policy or you have to establish heirs for the person who died depending on the insurance policy and it's usually you just have to go in and figure out who the heirs are for them to split that up and if it's a certain amount then you have to go through probate so um attorney is is a simple will not enough who who needs a will and a trust and why would they need both a will is good for someone who is going to follow the attorney's advice and i laugh when i say that because i know it's it's tough i I give homework to my clients when they leave and ask them to follow up to make sure they have it done if your property deeds are set up correctly if your insurance policy is set up correctly if your retirement set up correctly you have beneficiaries on your bank accounts every account you have then a simple will may be all you need but if you're remarried you have children from a previous marriage you have a business, or you have assets that you want to stay in the family longer than just upon the distribution from the will, you're going to want to look at a trust. Hmm. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, Before we go to the break, we're going to go to the phones. Thank you for that call, Joey. We go next to Megan, who's in Hattiesburg with a question. Hi, Megan. What do you have for us today? Hi. Um, My brother passed away a couple years ago, and um, he was quite young. He did have a will but it really only talked about his physical possessions. He had a small amount of money in his bank account, about $1,000. And the people I've spoken to at banks and courthouses have pretty much said that after uh, attorney and legal fees, that it would, we'd pretty much be breaking even. So I guess my question is, is there anything to be done with smaller amounts that are left in bank accounts, or is it better to just let them go to the state? You can. Uh, there's, there, it depends, and I know this sounds typically attorney-like, but it depends. I'd have to know the policies of that bank to see if they would allow us to do an affidavit of some sort. So sometimes if you speak to the bank, and I'm sure Robert will chime in here as well. Back in the day, I'm I'm sorry, Richard, sorry. Richard, I've mispronounced your name, so we're even now. (laughs) We're perfect. (laughs) But, you know, sometimes you can get an affidavit and the bank will take that. Usually you have to go through probate, mainly because you can have a will done at my office, go right next door and get another will done, which revokes the will that I had in place at my office. And the bank is wanting, for liability purposes, to rely on an authority. That's usually the, that's the judge that's stating who has the authority to take the money out of that account. But I would say to talk to an attorney, bring the documents in and look and see. I've had some clients who say, you know, it's just not worth going through the, you know, the cost and the, you know, the time period. But those are rare. Usually there's ways that you can, you know, access the money. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that loss. And, you know, it's, uh, 
It's interesting because I actually have an account that has $35 in it with a with a big bank in a place I used to live, and it's it was in a brokerage account there. And they tell me it'll cost me fifty dollars to take that thirty-five dollars out. So you know we're we're at an impasse. I, I will never take that money out, and, and I keep telling them they can just keep it. So that does happen sometimes. All right, Megan, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. It's time for a break, and we do have all our lines open. If you want to join the conversation this morning, we are talking with attorney Tina Seymour Demoran about organizing your life through estate planning. Also, Professor Richard Gershon is on the line with us of the University of Mississippi School of Law. You can give us a call if you have any questions or comments about estate planning, uh, things like the probate process, if you have questions about wills, trusts, who needs one, uh, how to construct it, you can give us a call 877-MPB-RING. The number is 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Tina Seymour Demoran, the founder and managing attorney of Seymour Law Firm. Today, we've been talking about organizing your life through estate planning. If you're listening and you need some advice or some guidance about how to manage your estate, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. We do have some lines open. The number is 877-672-7464 or email Legal terms at mpbonline.org. Um, we have a call to get to, but first, um, attorney, could you talk about the difference between a durable power of attorney and a health care power of attorney? Well, the durable power of attorney, durable just means that it endures through incapacity. So if you become mentally incapacitated up to your death, someone is able to take care of your affairs as long as you use the words durable in the document. A general power of attorney is usually one for whenever you have a spouse that may be out of town, you're selling the home, and you want the wife to be able to sign for her husband for the closing process, something along those lines for a specific task that ends at a certain date, and it ends upon incapacity. Durable endures through death, up to the point of death. Medical power of attorney and financial power of attorney are two different animals. Financial power of attorney gives someone the right to oversee and administer your financial affairs. That's giving them access to your bank accounts, your bills, your property, depending on what you have in the document. A medical power of attorney gives someone the right to access your medical records because HIPAA, the Federal Privacy Act, states that you can't just walk in and have access to someone else's medical records. Unless my husband has given me permission, I can't go to the hospital and access Philip's records. He has to give me written permission to do it. One way of giving written permission is by signing a medical power of attorney that states when he's incapacitated or he can state going forward from this day of signing the document, she has the right to access my documents, 
make medical decisions for me based upon my advanced directives, which should be included in that medical power of attorney or attached. And we'll talk about advanced directives in a minute. But also it gives you the right to transfer the person out of a facility if they don't feel like they're getting proper medical care. So they're taking over your medical decision-making process whenever you're incapable of making it yourself. All right. Uh, a couple calls to get to and some emails as well. We're going to Randy, who's in Hernando, with a question. Good morning, Randy. What do you have for us? Good morning. Hey. Uh, I, I attended a seminar about this about a year ago. It was fantastic to learn some things about the difference between a will and, and this uh, state planning. I mean, will is for the dead, estate planning is for the, for the living. But... Um, it was very interesting. I had a question about a life estate situation. If my parents, for example, own multiple pieces of property, land and whatnot, and they've already put in a life estate, they have a life estate, my father has a life estate to it, for an example, uh, is that legally mad? I mean, if something happens, he gets in medical distress or whatnot, can anybody take it from me if he has left it to me with only the, you know, choice to live there for the rest of his life well the life estate is just that it is your dad's for as long as he's alive which means until your father dies unless he gives you written permission then or verbal permission to come on the property you can't even you can't come on you can't mortgage it your creditors can't come against you those life estate deeds are simply a transfer process which means your dad has the right to live on the land and to possess it for as long as he lives or until he puts it in writing that he relinquishes it to his heirs or and then basically you have what's called a remainderman ownership in it which means once your father dies then you have the legal right to possess the property so basically, if your dad decides that he wants to sell the property or he wants to mortgage the property, he has to get your signature as well as his own. So to whoever's going to have the, the the property after he dies, they're going to have to give permission to sell, to mortgage, to do anything because he just has the right to live on the property, to maintain it, to enjoy those property tax incentives, and so on and so forth. Okay, that's a, that's good. Uh and a cut to the chase, if he were to get ill and go in a nursing home and stay there for 10 years and they needed payment, would, would they have any claim to it? Or would that have to get, would I have to sign off on it as well? I'll have to give the attorney answer on that one. It depends because there's several factors that could go into that equation. So I'd have to look at the documents before I could actually see what we're talking about because there's different payers. There's private, there's federal. And Richard will probably jump in here and agree with me on this one. It's, it's hard to make a just a, a quick answer on that one without looking at all the documents in the case. Exactly. I mean, I think you'd have to look at whether Medicaid was going to be involved, uh, which uh, does happen a lot of times when someone uh, goes into long-term care. Uh, that's one option is to use Medicaid as a payor, depending on the size of their, their estate. I mean, typically, though, you know, the value of um, – the property is divided between the value of the life estate and the value of the remainder. And the older the life estate owner is, the lower its value would be. So, you know, that that could protect you in some respects. But um, you know, it, it, Tina's absolutely right. You'd have to we'd have to know all the facts and all the circumstances. And that's why we can't give direct advice on, on the air. 
All right, Randy, thank you so much for your call. Uh, we have some emails to get to, and then we're going to go to you, Tom. Uh, this one says, thank you for the informative, interesting programming. My mother, siblings, and I are considering whether giving all three of us durable power of attorney might be a convenience. Currently, I have the, dur- I, the, the emailer, have the durable power of attorney. Are there reasons why we shouldn't do this? Oh, well, it depends, and I'm going to give a humorous answer. Do you and your siblings get along? If you can all three make decisions together. Um, There's some co-power of attorneys who do quite well, but they communicate well together. They can make those decisions together. Um, I would would draft a document that one or the other could sign without both people being physically having to sign it. The problem with having co anything is that both people have to work together and you never really know how well you're going to work together until you enter a crisis and i'm sure richard could probably give some horror stories as well as i about where you think everything's going to be great and then when money or any kind of personal decision comes into it things change yeah even in the best families where people seem to get along when it comes to to issues about estates uh, you know, people will fight over things you don't expect them to fight over, which is why the better a set of instructions we can can have ahead of time, the more they'll know what their role is and what they're supposed to do. All right. Um, the next email says, how does a revocable trust impact nursing home, Medicaid and homestead exemption? Well, that, again, that's a, it depends. It depends on what we're looking at from the property standpoint. A revocable trust doesn't have the same tax advantages that an irrevocable trust would have. So it's almost like a bank account where you put property into it, you take it out. It really depends on who is controlling the trust funds. So if you're doing what if some people you know, do, if you're under 65, you can put money into a self-settled trust. Or if you have a special needs child, you're putting the money into a special needs trust, which means those people, once the trust has been established, have no control over the assets. Then there are some tax and nursing home advantages. But a revocable trust, and I'm sure Richard can elaborate on this as well, is one, it's just like a bank account. You're putting assets into it, and if you're the trustee and you have control over it, then you don't have as much protections as if it's one where someone else is overseeing the assets. All right. Uh Okay, we have another email to get to, but first we're going to go to Tom in Mobile, who has a question. Good morning, Tom. What do you have for us today? Uh, yes, uh, I have an IRA account, and, uh, you know, I'm over 70, and I'm um, looking to leave uh, the IRA balance to my four children. And uh, I was reading that uh, when I distribute that IRA, they would have it would go into go to them, but they would have to pay uh, income tax on it, and uh, which I understand, but uh, I think it, they have to pay it when it comes out. And what I'd like to know, is there some way I can defer these income taxes uh, and parse that uh, IRA out on, over time so they don't get hit with a big uh, year of uh, federal income tax? I will answer that one by saying that there's the field of law is like the field of medicine. You have 
tax attorneys, you have estate attorneys, you have some that do both. I am not one of those that does both. So I would refer that to a CPA or yeah. someone who can look at the tax ramifications of that. I yeah, Professor Gershon is, yeah. is a tax guy. So uh, <laughs> right, if, it, if it's all right, I'll, I'll, tr- I'll take a shot at this one. And I think, yeah. you know, the, I mean, really, there is something called a beneficiary IRA. And so um, an inherited IRA. You can, in fact, spread that, that out. Um, their choice is to take a lump sum and pay tax on it at that point, or they can um, uh, set up a, an IRA account as a beneficiary account. They have to take a mandatory minimum distribution every year. And if your children, I imagine, are of different ages, um, I'm, I'm the youngest of four in my family, and we actually had uh, inherited an IRA from our, our, our mother. Um, you can do it on the life expectancy of each child so that they can actually spread that IRA out over uh, the, the course of their lives. And what ends up happening then is um, that's paid out to them uh, each year as a mandatory minimum distribution that's taxable, but the rest of it stays tax deferred. All right, Tom, does that make sense? Yes, good. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you for your call. All right. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll kind of wrap up the conversation and we'll talk a little bit more about organizing your life through estate planning. If you've been listening today, you have any comments or questions about your own estate, how to manage it, uh, questions about trusts and wills and power of attorney, call us 877-MPB-RING. We do have some lines open and some time left. 877-672-7464 is the number or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law and Tina Seymour Dimarin, the founder and managing attorney of Seymour Law Firm. This morning we've been talking about organizing your life through estate planning, and we have another email. Uh, this one says, does, quote, transfer on death, and quote, supersede instructions in a will, which say the account is to be divided among persons other than the one specified in the transfer on death documentation? Transfer on death document is a contract with the company that you're setting up. So if you have a transfer on death on the bank account, but you have a will that states that any of my personal property or my residual property goes to my three children upon my death, distributed equally, that transfer on death is going to be something that's separate and apart. You can walk into the bank with a copy of a death certificate and your driver's license and speak to the bank manager with the other TODs and get that distributed without ever having to go through probate. Mm. So the only time that you could really challenge that is if there was any type of incapacity or duress during the POD setup with that company. So it depends, but I will say that nine times out of ten, it's going to trump whatever's in the will. It's the same with a property deed. If you have my home goes to my three children upon my death, but you've put a joint ownership with right of survivorship to your spouse, then that's going to transfer over to your spouse in full upon your death. 
That's okay. not going to be distributed as if you would have it through the will. All right, a couple more calls to get to. Robert is in Meridian with a question about inherited land. Good morning to you, Robert. Good morning, folks. I'll try to be quick. Okay. Uh, a grandmother, my grandmother, dies without a will and is survived by four daughters. My mother just happened to be the only one of the four daughters to only have one child. When she died, Alzheimer's, without a will, I am thinking that I've inherited her one quarter share of what she and her sisters inherited from Big Mama. I just want to know, is that an accurate assumption? I would say you need to talk to an attorney. There's only two ways to transfer land upon someone's death. First of all, through the probate process where you establish heirs. Second of all, you have to wait a certain period of time fast past the statute of limitations for creditors, which is three years. Most title companies in Mississippi are going to tell you to wait three and a half years so you can get that title clearance. You have to do an affidavit of heirship if you don't have a will. And that affidavit basically states who the heirs are. That has to be somebody outside your family or someone who knew, that knew Big Mama personally, knew how many times she was married, how many children she had, if any of her children are deceased. Excuse me, so, I forgot to say that I was appointed conservator by the court. Um, well, the conservatorship is, is separate and apart from actually inheriting the property. So I would say the best thing to do is bring that into an attorney. You should have that child's quarter share or that, that share that you inherited if you're the only established heir of Big Mama. But again, um, going back to my age-old phrase, it depends. We have to look at the documents and make sure that the, you know, the property, how it's set up, if it's a right of survivorship or if it's a joint tenancy. A joint tenancy on the deed means that, or I'm sorry, a, a joint tenancy with right of survivorship means if anybody on that deed dies before the others, then their share goes back into the pot. If it's a tenancy in common, then those are separate shares that are split. So you really need to have an attorney look at that deed to see how that ownership is established. And then you can ask the heir questions about who actually gets Big Mama's share. All right, Robert, thank you so much for that call. Final call goes to Anna. Anna, we have about a minute left uh, in Starkville. What's your question? Um, I'm uh, in my mid-30s, married with two kids, and I was wondering what legal documents would you suggest that my husband and I have we don't have a will or anything at this point um what would be your suggestion for that okay, okay I'm, gonna, Thanks, I'm gonna do a, i'm gonna do a plug for my website i have all of those documents listed under my intake forms i actually just uploaded them during a commercial break this is my organized life seminar that i give free and i'm just going to make it available to all the listeners today if you go to seymour law s-e-y-m-o-u-r law ms.com it's going to go into detail about estate planning documents what you should and shouldn't have, understanding your beneficiary designations, and also talking about important papers you need to have along with that estate plan. If you're married, is this your only marriage? No priors? Uh, she might have dropped off. Anna, is this your uh, only marriage? My only marriage. Okay. Okay. If this is your only marriage, I would say the best thing to do is sit down with an estate planning attorney. You'll most likely need a will at a minimum. You need a will at a minimum. A lot of people think that you have to have a will or a trust. I do a will and a trust because the trust is only as good as the property you put into it. Now, in the will, you can say that you're going to put all of your property and everything you own when you die into the trust. That's going to sometimes require probate, depending on what kind of property you have. Okay, so seymourlawms.com is the website? 
Yes. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Attorney Demarin, thank you so much for being on today. This is a great conversation, great information. Thank you very much. And thank you as well, Professor Gershon. And uh, stay tuned. Southern Remedy is coming up with Dr. Susan Buttress right here on MPB Think Radio.